All right, good morning, everyone. If you don't have a seat, go ahead and grab one. We're going to get started. Uh, you know, one of the most comforting things that I have found in life is uh, the ability to have someone that you really trust. Has anyone, anyone found that? Okay, so, so I find that like, when you have someone that you trust enough that you can say, hey, this thing, I'm just going to give it over to you. And they can say, like, oh, I've got this. And you just, you just can let it go. You don't have to think about it anymore. You don't have to know what they're going to do, how they're going to take care of it, any of that. You just leave it into their hands, and you know that actually it's in better hands than if you would take care of it yourself. Does anyone have someone like that? Okay. Okay, so I have spent like about the last decade building that kind of a trust relationship with my, my family and my in-laws, especially regarding the Thanksgiving turkey. So I have done the Thanksgiving turkey year after year. I have done all sorts of different ways. I have done rotisserie over an open flame. I have smoked the thing in my smoker. I have most recently, I have deep fried it. And most recently, I smoked and then deep fried the turkey. Uh, it's it's a wonderful thing that I have gotten to the point with my, my family where everyone's do what for Thanksgiving, and they just assume, oh, Drew's doing the meat. They don't even ask what I'm doing. They just know, oh, Drew's doing the meat, and he's going to do it right. Okay? It's kind of like my trust relationship with my wife when it comes to baked goods. If Amanda's going to bake something, I don't need to know what she's making. I don't need to know the plan. I just know it's going to be stinking delicious. All right, so when you have someone that you can trust like that, where you just hand it over to them and just expect it's taken care of, it's a really comforting thing. But I find that oftentimes, despite all of the reasons why we should, we don't give God that kind of trust. You know what I mean? We, we kind of want to know a little bit more, because we don't just trust him to take care of it. But in Isaiah chapter 40, God has just been talking to his people. Working. Uh, Isaiah 40. Oh, there we go. He's just been talking to his people, and he's trying to, uh, to instill within them a sense of comfort. And the way that he does that is by saying, look at who I am. Look at my power, my strength, my love, my faithfulness. Look at all these things. If you want comfort, look at your God. And yet, near the end of Isaiah 40, we find that Israel doesn't have the kind of trust in God where they can just say, okay, God, we're in a bad situation, but you say you got it. We trust you on that. In fact, God says to them, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Not only does Israel not trust God to take care of them in their situation, they think that God doesn't even care. He doesn't even, doesn't even know what's going on. And God's saying, don't you even know me? 
Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. And yet you don't trust me to do anything about it. It's like they're saying, God, yeah, we see who you are, but we want to know what you're going to do. What's your plan for getting us out of this mess? And very patiently and very, uh, very lovingly, God acquiesces. He tells them precisely what his plan is. Here's what I'm going to do. And that's what he does in Isaiah 41. Isaiah 40 tells us, for comfort, look at who God is. Isaiah 41 is going to tell us, for comfort, look at what God is going to do. So let's look at Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41, it starts off with telling us that Yahweh is going to judge the whole world. It says that he draws near to the world for judgment. And then he tells us what that judgment looks like. Starting uh, 41 verse 2. Who has stirred up from, oh, hey, yeah. Who has stirred up one from the east, calling him in righteousness to his service? He hands nations over to him and subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword, to windblown chaff with his bow. He pursues them and moves on unscathed by a path his feet have not traveled before. Who has done this and carried it through, calling forth the generations from the beginning? I, Yahweh, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. Who is it that has drawn up this justice and this righteousness? Who is it that defeats armies, defeats nations? Who is it that gathers the people? That's me. That is Yahweh, he says. He's going to judge the whole world. He is the one with all of the power. And so Israel wants to know, what are you going to do? our cause. He always says, I'm going to judge the whole world. And he says, here's what my judgment is going to look like. I'm going to start by putting to shame all who trust in idols. Check this out. In Isaiah 41, verses 5 through 7, he starts talking about his shaming of the idols. The islands have seen it in fear. The ends of the earth tremble they approach and come forward and they help each other and say to their companions, be strong, terrified of Yahweh's judgment. The metal worker encourages the goldsmith and the one who smooths with the hammer spurs on the one who strikes the anvil. And one says of the welding, it is good. The other nails down the idol so it won't topple. There's kind of a funny image here at the beginning and the end of this thing. He says, and fear, the ends of the earth tremble. And then, so the people are so afraid, they're so terrified of Yahweh's judgment that they're shaking. And so are the idols. Because one nails down the idol so it won't topple over. Even the idols are shaking in their boots. And Yahweh's saying, I am going to put to shame everyone who trusts in anything but me. People who think that their money's going to get them out of my judgment? Nope. No, it's not. People who think that uh, anything that they're trusting, the economy, people who think that uh, their good health, people who think that uh, their 
uh, their love of, uh, of their stuff, people who think that their, um, their alcohol, their drugs, people who think that uh, science is going to get them out of all of this stuff? No. No, it's not. They're going to be put to shame because they're going to find that what they're trusting in is just going to topple over. So Yahweh's going to judge the whole world and he's going to put to shame all who worship idols, but he's going to comfort those who serve him. Guys, this is a really cool thing. Uh, the word for judgment in the Hebrew, it's the same as the word for justice. So what does Yahweh's judgment look like? It means his bringing about of justice, his setting things right, putting them the way they're supposed to be. Worshiping idols is not the way things are supposed to be. And he's going to show just how vain they are. Serving God is the way things are supposed to be. And so he will comfort those who serve him, those who are suffering. It says, starting in verse 8, But you, Israel, my servant, everyone else is shaking in fear, but you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Just a couple of verses later. For I I am Yahweh your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, despised and insignificant Jacob. Little Israel, do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Do you catch just the the tone of care here, the kindness and the tenderness in his voice, it really comes through as we look at some of the imagery here. At the beginning of this series, we talked about how Isaiah is predominantly poetry. And one of the ways uh, that poetry communicates is through imagery. And it does so in here in Isaiah. Uh, throughout Isaiah, we've seen this image of Yahweh's hand. Over and over and over. Uh, if you're interested in it, go home, grab a concordance, or look it up online. Blue Letter Bible is a, a good resource. And just look up the word hand and see how many times it's used in Isaiah and how it's used. But there's some cool stuff going on here. You'll see that there's kind of this progression of the, the idea here, where it starts off in the beginning in chapter one, and Yahweh is talking about how his people have turned, turned from righteousness to wickedness. And so because Yahweh is all about righteousness and justice, his hand is against them and their wickedness. He says, I will turn my hand against you. Then in chapter 5, he continues that image and he says that his hand is raised and he strikes them down. 
He strikes them down with judgment because of their wickedness. And then over and over, it repeats the second phrase. His hand is still upraised. He strikes them down. And then it'll list a judgment that he's bringing on them. And it'll say, and his hand is still upraised. Then it'll say another judgment that he's bringing. And his hand is still upraised. Wait, there's more. It keeps coming because they just won't turn from their wickedness. So Yahweh's righteous right hand is against them. And then in 40, it says that Jerusalem has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. She has sinned and Yahweh has brought Punishment upon punishment upon punishment. And they have come directly from God. But that image turns. It turns in Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. No longer will my right hand be raised to strike you down for your wickedness. No, no, no. As you turn and come to me, my right hand will uphold you. I will support you. I will teach you my ways. Isaiah 41.13 For I am Yahweh your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear. I will help you. And you get this image of this God whose right hand is mighty and strong. Who has worked out these judgments and these punishments to care for and protect those who are weak. And now as he looks at them, as they have endured these punishments and they themselves are weak, and as they themselves now are turning to Yahweh, he says, and now my hand which was against you for your wickedness is going to uphold you. My hand which was turned against you is now going to take you by the hand and lead you in righteousness. It's this beautiful image. I kind of get this, this image in my mind of like a, a dad bending down and taking his kid's hand and leading him in the dark, saying, hey, it's okay. I'm with you. I'll help you. Isaiah 41, it shows us that Yahweh is bringing about his judgment. And his judgment is both a terror to those who serve idols, to those who trust in anything but Yahweh. And it is the comfort of those who serve him. And it tells us, actually both at the beginning and the end of the chapter, that Yahweh is going to do all of this through someone that he is sending. In the beginning, it said that who is the one who stirs this person up? It's Yahweh. He's behind all of it. And then at the end, Yahweh turns as if to talk for a moment and mock these idols that people are serving. And so he says, to, as though to the idols, he says, I have stirred up one from the north, and he comes. One from the rising sun who calls on my name. 
He treads on rulers as if they were mortar, as if he were a play. Who told of this from the beginning so we could know, or beforehand so we could say he was right? No one told of this. No one foretold it. No one heard any words from you. He's saying, you idols, you didn't see this coming. I did. And I'm telling you right now, and this isn't going to happen for a very long time, but when it does, everyone is going to look back and they're going to see it right here and they're going to say, oh my goodness, Yahweh, Yahweh told us that this was going to happen. And it's going to be amazing. So Yahweh is going to bring judgment, his justice in the entire world through someone that he's sending. Isaiah 40 told us to God for comfort. 41 told us, look at what he's going to do. And Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, is going to tell us to look at Yahweh's servant for comfort. Look at the one he's sending. It'll start off in 42, 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be destroyed justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, it tells us that if we want comfort, we look to Yahweh's servant. We look to him. And what do we see when we look at him? First off, we see that he will tenderly restore God's people. Again, some imagery here. There's this image where he says, a bruised reed, he will not break off. Just to give you guys a a picture of what he's talking about there. If you go outside and you look at the garden, a bruise done so much work around here, tending for and caring for all of the, the plants that we have. And if you go out there, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about here. You'll find places where a plant has grown up, and as it's extended out, it's just broken. It's been bruised and bent over. And if you leave something like this, what's going to happen? It's going to die. There's nothing you can do about it except to either cut it off or to bring it back up, to put something there to and to bind it. But that's a lot of work. That takes a lot of care. That takes a lot of attention and tenderness. When it talks about Yahweh's servant, when it says a bruised reed who will not break off, those who are hurt, those who are suffering, those who are broken, Yahweh's servant, he's going to show them. 
compassion. He's going to them and care for them. He's going to heal them. He's not interested in just cutting people off. This is Yahweh's servant. And really, that imagery should really remind us a lot of what we were seeing in Yahweh's character about him holding their hand and helping them. And so what we see here is just this beautiful image of tender restoration. We see also as we look at Yahweh's servant that he will serve Yahweh with enduring faithfulness. This is some cool stuff because when we look back at chapter 40, verses 6 through 8, it says that all people are like grass and all their faithfulness, it's like the flowers of the field. It's beautiful for a time because the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. People's faithfulness, people's truth, people's commitment to what they say, it's good until it's not. Because it's not lasting. But when Yahweh speaks, when he makes a covenant, when he promises, he's good on it indefinitely. It doesn't matter if he made that thousands of years ago. He makes good. He fulfills his word, his promise. So people's faithfulness is not lasting. But this servant from 42, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. And he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. This servant, his faithfulness goes so far that he's not going to tire until the entire world reflects the faithfulness and the justice of God. That is some pretty inhuman kind of faithfulness to God. That is amazing. We behold this servant we see his tenderness, his faithfulness, and we see that he will establish complete justice on the earth. He will see to it that the earth perfectly demonstrates the righteousness of God. So much so that it says that his instruction, his Torah, will be the hope of the whole world. In the Hebrew Bible, the Torah is God's instruction in his own righteousness. And now God is saying that his servant's Torah, that's going to be the hope of the entire world. Everyone will put their hope in him. So if we want comfort, look at Yahweh's servant that he's sending. It says some more about this guy, starting in 5. It says, this is what God Yahweh says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness. I take you by the hand, I protect you, and I give you to be a covenant for the people, to be a light for the Gentiles, 
to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Isaiah 42 again tells us to behold Yahweh's servant. And it tells us that he will be a light for the Gentiles. He will be the one that people look to, the one that people see who shows them the way to follow in God's righteousness. Guys, the Gentiles did not receive the Torah. But Yahweh is saying, my servant, he's going to be that light for them. He's going to show them the way to follow in my righteousness. And he will heal the blind. And as we've looked at Isaiah, who is it that's blind in Isaiah? It's Israel. In chapter 6, it says, my people are seeing but never perceiving, hearing, but never understanding. That actually, that image is going to be brought out later in chapter 42 as well, as God says, who's blind like Israel? They are the ones who are being guided by this servant. So he's a light for the Gentiles and a healer of blind Israel. He will set captives free. He will free people from the chains that they have forged in their own sin. And for Israel, that is literally the case for them. They are literally in chains. They are literally exiles because of their sin. And he will make right the relationship between God and his people. This, this is the servant of Yahweh. So if we want comfort, Look at Yahweh's servant that he's sending. Verse 8. I am Yahweh. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Now he's saying, I'm telling you about this well in advance. And as they happen, you will see that I'm the one who called it. I predicted it. I told you all what was going to happen. It says, my name is Yahweh, and I will not yield my glory to another. You know, it's interesting as we behold Yahweh's servant, that so many of those images, so many of the things that it says about Yahweh's servant are also things that it has said about Yahweh himself. And as we look at what Yahweh says that he's going to do in chapter 41, and as we look at what the servant is doing in chapter 42, it's, it's really not possible to distinguish who's doing what. But also we see Yahweh here saying, I am Yahweh, I will not yield my glory to another. I don't share my glory. I think that what he's saying is that Yahweh's servant is Yahweh himself. And in that way, what we see is God saying, I have told you, I am Yahweh your God who holds your hand and guides you. And he's saying, no, 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 like literally, I'm going to come and hold your hand and guide you. Israel, you are my servant, but you're an unfaithful servant. You're my servant, but you're a blind servant. 
So I'm going to come and I'm going to show you what it looks like to truly be a faithful servant. Yahweh's servant looks like Yahweh, I think because he is Yahweh. And I think that becomes very clear. So we've seen that we should look to our God, that we should look to what he will do and the servant that he will send. And the comfort comes from these things. So what do we do with all that comfort? Isaiah 42, 10 through 17 says, you praise God. With all of this comfort, what do we do? Praise God for it. Worship him. 42.10 says, sing a song or sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth, everywhere. You who go down to the sea and everything in it. You islands and everything in them. So the sea, the land, everything. Let the wilderness and the towns everything raise their voices let the settlements where kadar lives rejoice let the people of selah bring sing for joy let them shout from the mountaintops let them give glory to the lord and proclaim his praise in the islands the lord will march out like a champion like a warrior he will stir up his zeal with a shout he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp and I pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our gods, will be turned back in utter shame. Yahweh is going to come mightily in judgment. And his judgment will put to shame those who worship idols. And it will be the comfort of his people. Look at this. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. So if we want comfort, we look to our God. We look at what he'll do. We look at the servant that he's going to send and we worship him for what he has done. But as we think about all of this, What's, what's really the, the one big point here? Well, let's, let's sum up for just a moment. If we were to boil this down into one sentence, we can simply say that we should praise Yahweh for mightily saving and tenderly caring for us through his servant. That Yahweh has come in power and might 
And he has saved us from the evils and wickedness of this world. He has saved us from the evils and wickedness within ourselves. He has done it mightily and powerfully through Jesus. And he has cared for us through his servant with tenderness and compassion. And so we ask, who is this servant? A lot of people will say it might be Israel, which in some ways kind of might make sense because we do see Israel being talked about as God's servant in 41 and actually later in 42, near the end. So there is some reason why people might think that, but I think that there are also some real big problems with that. One is that where Israel is called Yahweh's servant, we also find plural references. References to the people or them. We don't find that here. Also in 42.18, Israel is called the blind servant. They're the ones being led by the servant in 42.1-9. through 9. Another thing is Yahweh talks about the servant's Torah being the hope of the world. The servant's teaching, his instruction, his law being the hope of the world. The law is never called the law of Israel. It's Yahweh's law. It's his teaching, his instruction, his Torah. Also, Yahweh says he's not sharing his glory. And that becomes problematic when we start seeing things like his Torah, because that's some shared glory right there. And the servant is enduringly faithful, which as we read in the scripture, does not describe Israel. So I think that that view is problematic. What most people take this for is a reference to the Messiah, that he is the giver of the Torah. He is the prophet like Moses who comes and who speaks Yahweh's instruction to his people. He's the one who brings Yahweh's righteousness, who not only gives the Torah verbally, but who shows it and demonstrates it in the way that he lives. He's the one who follows Yahweh with complete faithfulness. And what he does, what Messiah does, is indistinguishable from what Yahweh does. And that he is the hope of the world. And he's Yahweh himself. And all of these are things that are drawn out in the book of Isaiah over and over. We saw them in, uh, in chapter 11. We saw them uh, in chapter, or we're going to see them in a few weeks when we talk about chapter 9, when God talks about Emmanuel, God with us. Over and over throughout Isaiah, it has been pointing us to this Messiah, this hope of Israel who is coming to save them. And this passage is pointing to him as well. I think, though, as we look through it, we're also going to see a little bit more about who this Messiah is as we look at the New Testament. Isaiah 42.1 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Matthew picks up on this. In chapter 3, and he says, But John tried to deter Jesus, saying, I needed to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this 
to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. My chosen one, in whom I delight. Isaiah 42. I, Yahweh, have called you in righteousness. I take you by the hand. I protect you. I give you to be a covenant for the people, to be a light for the Gentiles to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Luke 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. A light to the Gentiles, the glory of Israel. Luke 4, he, that's Jesus, stood up to read, and, un and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's a quote from Isaiah 61. We're going to look at that in a few weeks. But guys, as we look at this, it becomes so evident that the gospel writers are saying, that servant from Isaiah, it's Jesus. He's the giver of the Torah, which we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, as Jesus ascends this hill and then teaches of God's righteousness. He's the bringer of Yahweh's righteousness. He shows us what perfect righteousness looks like. He shows us what perfect faithful service to Yahweh looks like. His actions are indistinguishable from the those of the Father, which is so clear in the book of John. He is the hope of the world and Yahweh himself. Jesus is the servant of Isaiah 42. And so let's worship Yahweh because his servant has come. Because Jesus has come. Guys, we're, we're celebrating Christmas. What we are all about is the fact that his servant, Jesus, has come. And guys, that is exciting stuff. This passage, it's telling us to praise God 
because of exactly what we celebrate at Christmas, because of the coming of his Messiah. And let's worship him because he has saved us. He has saved us. Jesus' name means that he has saved us. Guys, he has brought about our salvation through his death and his resurrection. He has done everything necessary so that we could be in right relationship with God and with one another. And because he cares for and protects us, he has given us his tender care, his compassion. He binds us when we're broken. He heals us and draws us to him. And because one day he will restore the entire world. These are things to be excited about, things to praise God for. Guys, when we talk about comfort, what more do we want? What more could we possibly ask for than this? This is the hope of nations. So guys, let's go out this week and let's worship him with our words. One way you can do that is singing praises to him. We're going to do that in just a few minutes here. We are going to get up here and we are going to sing and we are going to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ has come. The fact that he has brought joy to the world. The chains he has broken for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. This is our God. We are going to sing and be glad that, oh, come, oh, come, oh, Emmanuel, because he has. We get to celebrate the fact that we aren't waiting for it. We get to live it as a past reality, as a present reality and as something that we get to look forward to. So let's sing our praises to him this morning, and let's sing praises to him as we go out this week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you guys to do something with me today. As we, as we leave church this morning, I'm gonna ask that when you get in your car, turn on some Christmas music, okay? That's, that shouldn't be too hard. Or if you're at home, turn on some Christmas music while you're making lunch. And take a couple songs and sing them. And worship God for the coming of his servant who has brought joy to the world, who has saved us by his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, who has shown us his care and his compassion. This is a time of year when, honestly, we can go anywhere. We can go to the grocery store and we're going to hear worship music. We're going to hear music praising God for the coming of his son. So let's sing those songs. Let's worship him wherever we are. There's not a time of year that it becomes easier to sing worship music wherever we go. Let's do that. Let's not let it be something that we simply hear, but let it be something where we actually align our hearts with what we're saying or what we're hearing. And let's imagine what his fully restored world will be like. As we sing, sing songs like Joy to the World, 
just take a moment and just ponder, what would a day in the life of that restored world be like? Maybe take some time this week, draw some art, write a poem, write a story, write a, a journal article as though you've lived a day in that world. Take some time just to imagine what would that be like? And praise God for that. Because we get to look forward to and anticipate that as being a real reality that we will one day live. And so let's be excited about that. Let's look forward to it. and Let's praise God for it. Remember, when this is being written, when this is being spoken, God is telling this to people who have not actually seen this happen yet. And he says, even though you have not yet seen this, praise me because I'm going to do it. Remember, the word of the Lord endures forever. If he promises, he'll make good. So let's look forward to that. Just as they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, let us continue to look forward to his kingdom being fully established in this world. And let's praise God for it. And let's worship him with our actions. Let's be people who look just like that faithful servant, who lead people to the righteousness of God, who lead those who are blind, who lead people who don't yet know the righteousness of God. Let us be a light to them. Just as he leads us, let us lead others. Let us be people who, who take others by the hand and guide them. That's what he's calling us to. He doesn't just do these things for us, but he expects that we do them for others. That we become good servants, just as he has shown us how to be. So this week, I'm going to ask us to go out and do something as simple and as difficult as talking with someone about what Advent is about. Talk with them about the anticipation that we are celebrating the coming of Messiah. That this is something that our entire year revolves around. It revolves around the coming of our God. That this is what we celebrate. And let's care for those who are hurting. We all know people who are hurting. It talks about Jesus being someone who is incredibly strong. Yahweh is the God of the universe. He stretches out the heavens and spreads out the earth. His hands have made everything. In his hand, he holds all the dust of the earth. He is big and mighty and powerful, and yet he leans down and takes us by the hand. Have you ever known someone who is both incredibly strong and incredibly delicate and kind? Um, when I think of that image, I think of my friend Matt who's one of the strongest men that I've ever known. He was a, a Marine. 
He's incredibly just like fit and ripped, and yet he is incredibly tender and kind and compassionate. When I first got to know Matt was in college, and I just thought of Matt as like the buff dude who was like suit, like the cool big man on campus kind of guy, even though he's short. Uh, and that was kind of the image that I initially got of Matt. But as I got to know him more, I got to see that this man is incredibly strong. He's strong in his faith. He's strong physically. He's strong as a, uh, it, mentally in his, uh, just his intellect and his, um, his ability to, uh, to process things. But I also got to experience that strength in his care for me. Uh, about six months, nine months after Amanda and I got married, I lost my job. And as I was talking to Matt about it, I just broke down crying. I just felt like a complete failure. It felt like the kind of thing where I was just, how do I, what do I do? I feel like I have failed as a, as a husband. I failed as a person. I just felt broken. And I remember Matt just putting his arms around me, just giving me this big hug and just feeling his strength and that he was using that to care for me, to express his compassion for me and to hold me up when I just felt beaten down. Yahweh does that for us. And he calls us to do that for one another to show his tenderness and his compassion and care. So let's be people who are like him and who do that for those around us. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that we get to celebrate the fact that he has come, that he is good, that he has shown us faithfulness and righteousness and justice. And one day, his kingdom will be fully established on this world and we will see what it looks like to be in a world that perfectly resembles you and your righteousness. Father, we, we are excited about that day and we praise you for it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, your servant. Amen.